Welcome, travelers of the multiverse, as Fantastic Geek chronicles What If on Disney+. Plus. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is the Hulk Pete variant of Pete. Hello, Hulk Pete. Release the foam. The Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek featuring What If for episodes 203, What If Happy Hogan Saved Christmas, 204, what if Iron Man crashed into the Grandmaster? And 205, what if Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper? Is brought to you by Maraschino Cherries. Tony can't have a hot toddy without them. Pete, making our way across the multiverse of stories, Star Trek Prodigy has saved Christmas for it is on Netflix. And I want to reiterate, Pete, that though I was not a huge Prodigy fan when it was on Paramount+, Plus. I will be watching every episode on Netflix to send loud and clear the message that Star Trek on streaming, Star Trek on Netflix is a good idea. And it is the perfect palate cleanser to whatever Rebel Moon was, apart from being awful. Uh, Pete, I'm going to disagree with that in classic Rebel Moon fashion by saying, you're wrong, <laughs> I don't need to explain it or give context. I just say you're wrong. Next. Did you just join my team? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I think I think we're brothers now. Um, I'll I'll see you in the director's cut, and then I'll see you for part two. I can't wait to understand that movie. But no, no, it's like a different movie. The director's cut. It's like a completely different movie, which is what I say if I want you to watch it again. I just want to reiterate to our listeners, in all seriousness, something that you and I had said over text, which is this whole thing, all of Rebel Moon, all both theatrical parts and both director's cuts parts, all cost $166 million, which is a steal for Netflix to get you to click four different times on a thing. Each of these movies, theatrical, at $80 million is a steal to to again to say four different I mean, there movies. was some stealing going on uh stealing against the dramatic arts of the english language oh my gosh pete in slightly more serious news uh your note here pitch perfect what if things worked the way they were supposed to we've had some technical issues here and there uh in the last couple days big uh the big news being if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, we got it ironed out. Uh, as we record right now, we have a plan to smooth everything out tomorrow. Um, so big thanks to everyone for their patience and for their understanding. And uh, I, I know people were saying on Twitter, you know, take the time to work it out. Loyal listenership, I believe, uh, I believe was said. So that certainly is appreciated, particularly at this busy time of year where it was like, I'm going to dedicate 15 minutes on Christmas Eve to try and solve this. And if I, if I don't, I'm going to worry about it at a later point because it's Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, etc. Yeah, I mean, uh, without really any indication that this would go on and terribly sorry to inconvenience our, our audience, our, our listeners. But uh, yeah, trying to iron it out. And uh, as Matt said, we have a plan. So thanks on my end, thanks on our end for everyone being patient with us. I know, Pete, uh, you have some more thanks to give as well. Yeah, just want to thank those of you who head over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and have taken the time to nominate me for the 2000. 
24 gray list. Uh, that's a list of up and coming screenwriters uh, who are not yet produced and are over the age of 40, which uh, creates great difficulty in trying to break into this industry. Um, it is a popularity contest. The more nominations I get, the uh, more strongly I'll be considered for inclusion to that list, which will get circulated amongst studios, executives, actors, uh, you name it, and uh, help with the possibility of securing employment in uh, screenwriting. Uh, there's still time to contribute. You can uh, do it up through the end of 2023 here. So we've got uh, five days left. Um, and again, uh, any help there that you can give me is greatly, greatly appreciated. Turning things to the here and now, let's talk about some of the divergences which have occurred in the timeline. In episode 203, What If Happy Hogan Saved Christmas, the Watcher has a yuletide tale as the Avengers fight someone. Happy Hogan and Darcy are prepping for the Avengers Christmas party, and Maria Hill is there too, noting that Happy just needs to make sure the party is a hit. In the lobby, Justin Hammer's sneaking in. He's fresh from prison, having had too much time. He's there to take what he wants. The Iron Legion is reprogrammed to his command, and he's there to get Hulk blood to be the next big bad. Happy has eyes on the baddie, though, at least for a little while. Happy sneaks into the lab and is found by Hammer's goons. He's accidentally injected with Hulk blood, hulking out his leg. He calls for help, but the Avengers are busy. Limb by limb, Happy hulks out more and more. As the episode liberally quotes from Die Hard, the Hulk transformation is complete. Darcy is being sent to the mainframe in the sub-basement, but is caught. The elevator door is open, but no, Hulky Hogan, who instead attacks from the floors below. He'll follow Hammer while Darcy and Maria Hill work to reboot Jarvis. There's a scene where Hulky Hogan takes out about a hundred Iron Legion robots, but don't worry, it's not violent because they have oil, not blood. Hammer suits up in the Hulkbuster suit, and the main event begins. The ladies reboot the system with Werner, but it's Siri for nihilists. Just as Hulky Hogan gets the upper hand, the Avengers arrive, misreading the situation. Darcy straightens out who's good and who's bad as Tony turns off the Hulkbuster suit. Hammer falls from the building, but Happy saves him. It's a happy ending. In episode 204, What If Iron Man Crashed Into the Grandmaster?, we recap to the Guardians of the Multiverse with Gamora's story starting somewhere else. We go to Tony Stark making his sacrifice in the Battle of New York, but this time he didn't make it home. He was spun around the universe, crashing into the Grandmaster. Hey, that's like the title! Welcome to Sakaar, where they're big fans of Metal Mojo Man. He's talked into staying for the Grandmaster's birthday party. Who's up for the Grand Prix? And a race to the death. Valkyrie wins, or at least survives, and Snuppy... The champion is released. Tony suits up, ready to save the day, but his suit fails him. It's Gamora to the rescue, there to take out Tony. Both get zapped by the Grandmaster, who totally ships Gamora and Tony. Tony quickly escapes, Korg in tow, and surprise, Gamora is not far behind. But it's time to fight the Grandmaster, and first stop is Valkyrie being a driver. Tony makes a new suit, while in parallel, Gamora corners the Grandmaster. Tony broadcasts to all, Grandmaster versus Tony in a race, and Tony gets a chariot. And go! The track takes fun twists and turns, with Tony's chariot destroyed, but his suit making a new car. It's also time to be better people, Gamora. Who will she decide to be? 
She blasts the track, Beasties, and soon it's a showdown between Grandmaster and Tony. The iron car turbo boosts for the race win. The Grandmaster is dispatched in, uh, for good, with Valkyrie now in charge. Victory! Tony is set to go home, but Gamora brings him to Thanos. But it's a fake-out. Gamora offs Thanos. And in episode 205, what if Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper? In the Battle of New York, Captain Carter is helping Black Widow. They go see Loki, but the Watcher doesn't do sequels normally. He recaps the Guardians of the Multiverse, saving it all, and Peggy's story was just beginning. They're sent to find the Hydra Stomper with someone inside. It's Steve Rogers, who died on his last mission, but somehow he survived Winter Soldier style. Fury brings her up to speed, but he'd like to keep her on the sidelines for the mission to find the Stomper. They needn't look far. Shield head Bucky Barnes is an old man and the Stomper's next target. It's in the building and the Stomper fights Peggy. The suit corners Bucky and Bucky tries to talk Steve down. Steve pauses, but now it's Captain Carter time. They fight in the air with the suit suddenly falling. Black Widow flies a Quinjet up to catch the suit and Captain Carter doing it just in time. They go to a black site in Scotland looking to reboot the suit, but it's a dodgy proposition. Peggy proposes going to the red room which controls the suit. But Steve is awake, ready to talk to her. They fly to a Sokovian military base dressed up as a quintessential American town. They have time, though, and Peggy and Steve catch up, not seeing that the town's animatronics are there to get them. Eventually, our heroes are overrun. The red room is overhead, and it turns out that the real mission was to get Peggy Carter here. Time to fight a contingent of widows. In it, the fight ends up in a house blasted by bullets, then outside, where Black Widow takes out most of her foes, leaving only maternal Melina. Meanwhile, the Stomper and Peggy have their own showdown. Peggy throws down her shield, telling Steve she will no longer fight. His words have meaning. He attacks the Red Room, but not before Natasha hooks Melina to Steve's suit. With the Red Room falling, Peggy and Nat run. It's not a happy ending, but not end of the line. Later, Peggy is stealing a car with Natasha. The end. Or is it? Some energy gobbles up Peggy, and the Watcher is surprised. Peggy wakes up, perhaps in Marvel 1602. A divergence has occurred. What's changed, and would we keep the changes? So, Pete, starting with the first episode of our focus here, Happy, What If Happy Hogan Saved Christmas?, there's a lot of there's a lot of boxes checked in this episode. I appreciate that we have Happy Hogan. I appreciate that we have John Favreau. I appreciate that we have a story that brings together all the Avengers. Um, the the return of uh, of Justin Hammer, all of that. Um, but I feel like somehow they really wanted to do a Die Hard episode, and that kind of set things in motion here. I feel like it's become so passe. Oh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Uh, the answer is yes. And, you know, boy, do we lean heavily on that in this episode, um, which is fine, I suppose. It's it's cute. But as you and I were talking off mic and I feel strangely validated, this was the weakest of these three episodes. Pete, when we get to discussing uh, the, the Hydra Stomper episode in a little bit, we'll talk about what uh, head writer AC Bradley had to say about some of the kind of behind the scenes story stuff behind the story in there. 
But as you were telling me about that before we were recording, I was saying all of that backstory for another episode sounds more interesting than this episode. And that's not to say, like, they're not made... The structure of what if Happy Hogan saved Christmas, there's nothing wrong with the structure. There's nothing wrong with the voice cast. There's nothing wrong with any of it. It's a really fun pitch, but it's just not the best of the bunch. Um, And I feel like there's almost like a, there's a damned by faint praise being worse than if something is actually lousy. Um, I don't know if that's true, but that's how I'm, that's how I'm looking at this episode. I think. I mean, all right. You got the holiday one. It's a little strange, Matt, that perhaps the watcher celebrates Christmas. (laughs) Definitely stood out there. You know, I get the holiday vibes and everything like that, but that, that seemed a little unusual. Um, and all right, you get the MCU's favorite intern interning. So it's a great way to bring Darcy back. You mentioned, uh, hammer before, I mean, they're, they're killing it on, I mean, Maria Hill lives Matt. Okay. They're killing it on the voice side, uh, except for Gamora. (laughs) Um, yeah, again, on paper to say we have all these characters coming to it, awesome. We have all these actors coming to it, that's awesome. I, I can't quite figure out why you wouldn't have Zoe Saldana in this. I have to assume it's it's got to be a money, it's either a money thing or she didn't like the story, right? I mean, a time issue with her with 17 Avatar movies. On the one hand, yes, but you're telling me that sometime between the first time you laid down a a scratch track for this episode, who knows how long ago, all the way up to, you know, this debuted Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2023. So presumably she could have recorded lines like on the 23rd, right? Theoretically, you could have said there's no wiggle room here. You have to do it the same as the temp track. You can't, you can't, you know extended out because we've already done the animation but anywhere in there they could have gotten her to me it's just weird it, it's it's weird like the um you know we had the t'challa episode in the first season where everybody in the world is there except for dave Bautista, and you kind of can't figure out why um yeah, I, I, when, yeah when they have so many and i've seen the full list and it's just wild and I find myself with each episode, you know, granted, they have to put like a Lake Bell ahead of a Sebastian Stan because it's a larger part in the episode. But still, your brain is like, whoa, whoa, whoa I pause that. I got to go back. Wow. This person is in this like and and you don't get Zoe Saldana. It it, it can't be a money thing. It's It's got to be a way to busy thing i would think can we just talk since we're talking about the cast i was um i i was surprised when my ears told me that hey the person uh, voicing Werner, surely that's Werner herzog because it sounds just like him and you can just imagine the ai saying let us not wake the baby to (laughs) then say no 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 once again it is ross marquand Yes. Formerly of Walking that Dead, I, that I knew because I saw his his credit, and I'm like, all right, are we getting Red Skull? Nope, that's him right there. 
and it's a great reminder that when he um, played Red Skull in the two Avengers films, everybody in the world, at least initial, let's say with with uh, Infinity War, everybody in the world was like, "Wow, they went back and got uh, Hugo Weaving." And no, 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 it's just this very, very um, talented—not just dramatic stuff from Walking Dead, but Ross Marquand also, you know. And amazing, you know, does amazing impersonations and so forth. So my hat's off there that I, the entire time I was like, they got Werner Herzog to play Werner. Good job. Nope. It's just, there he is again, Ross Marquand. Doing Ross Marquand things there. Um, That we all suspected it, but now we know that at least one version of Avengers Tower has a spandex uniform room. (laughs) And again, there's not a single detail in this episode that I would undo. I would even add to it, you know, the concept of, um, you know, we'll say street-level hero, for lack of a better word. You want to have the Avengers be supporting characters in an episode that mostly is about, you know, Happy Hogan and Darcy and Maria. Add to it Justin Hammer, regularly powered person as your baddie and so forth. The whole concept is good. The jokes hit. It's great to be back in these familiar settings and so forth. There's a nostalgia factor that is great, and there's a newness that's great. It just is not the best. This is truly a story that, from the one-sentence logline pitch, is just not as great as the other ones. And that's okay. You know, there's there's going to be ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys. What's unusual to start 204, and, you know, there are lists of what this season looked like at one point with dramatically different episode titles and, and orders out there. Um, But to begin with a previously on um, and referencing Gamora and her role in the guardians of the multiverse, the, the big saga from season one and that this story uh, precedes that story was an interesting way to go it was and it kind of it returns to uh, a meta theme of mine for the last six months or so maybe even less than that just this idea of i don't want to say audience attention span i think just kind of the the weight factor uh there's so much great content out there that to be completely honest for you the show what if to say to me you remember that important story arc from September 2021, right? Because you're back watching season two. Therefore, you remember season one in your heart of hearts. My response is kind of, no, I don't. I mean, on the one hand, thank you for giving me the previously on because it did. I think it, you know, it helped contextualize the story as they intended. But part of me kind of was like, man, again, maybe Pete, maybe here I am in a, in a, you know, a, a Christmas day, you know, my my plate is full and my stocking is full and all of that. But it's like, man, I got to remember back to over two years ago for this animated half hour show. Am I being unreasonable, Pete? Or is the show maybe, no, I, 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 you know, I don't think so at all. And, you know, we try to shoot it down the middle here and not over praise or over uh, belabor bash. Um, you know, what jumps out? Here at the beginning, they they give you the Battle of New York and and swap out um, Hope Van Dyne's The Wasp 
for uh, Bruce Banner's uh, Incredible Hulk and uh, actually uh, head writer, now showrunner. <laughs> Uh, since it's an official distinction now, AC Bradley uh, took to Twitter to explain that whole phenomenon. Yeah, and this is where, in our in our uh, you know, in our pre-recording conversation, you you took me through the the timeline. If you wouldn't mind taking us taking the listeners through it, uh, perhaps for the first time, taking me through it again, I compare what you're about to say. To the happy hogan episode and i go where's my hope dan uh, hope van dyne episode so pete can you do a quick recap so ac bradley uh, at the ash bradley uh posted yesterday or today excuse me uh since a few people have asked yes that's hope at the battle of new york because we never hear her we never see her outside of uh the suit and uh captain carter only refers to her as uh, wasp uh how did that happen uh since captain carter a woman ended ww2 the feminist movement occurred immediately after the war this had a ripple effect across society leading to more female shield agents heroes and women in positions of authority check out the strike team at minute 12 she goes on since peggy carter wasn't around to found shield that responsibility fell to hope's parents hank and janet and also bucky and his good friend howard stark all this led to hope taking on the wasp mantle earlier other tidbits bucky survived the war and became a jimmy carter-esque elder statesman howard didn't die in 1991 in uh her mind in ac bradley's mind uh howard was a far better father and had a closer relationship with his son tony and bruce are always and forever the mad genius science bros at least in her mind the captain carter biopic was a musical but sadly not a broadway play not yet again i feel like that is such a great idea i'd love to see that if there's some sort of storytelling space to uh, to explore standalone stories in a brief fashion maybe a half an hour uh and one that maybe since it's going to be spanning throughout the decades maybe would be well suited for animation i mean come on that's a great what if episode there and and i don't know i mean the notion i mean they have carved out this ability now you know the watcher (laughs) says i normally don't do sequels we do this it's clearly leading to their overarching story for season two i mean forget that too matt we saw the sequence in the post-credit scene of season one where uh captain carter finds steve in the hydra stomper um it was actually along with the bit of her fighting uh, Batroc on the Lemurian star, which obviously they push away in this because it leads to like, all right, you need a fight with a beginning, middle and end rather than the stinger that they gave you for season one. I feel like we are brushing up against another theme for Marvel 2023, which is, Who's overseeing the master plan here? I mean, fine. AC Bradley is the the showrunner, and Brian Andrews has directed all of these the, the episodes this season. Um, but 
or most of the episodes this season, where's that sense of coordination, particularly in the world of animation? It was COVID. I mean, I know the first season came out in 2021. I think it was in 2020 as the world was starting to figure out how to go back to work and how you do this and how in, let's say the world of Hollywood, how you're going to deal with loss of current income, loss of box office, this and that, the other relative to making new content and all of that, you know, so it was, it was 2020 when they said, what if it's not going to be two 10 episode seasons can be two nine episode seasons and episode from season one is being moved to season two. So there you go. They're going to make eight and eight and 10, I suppose. But, but again, my point being, if there's stuff from season one that isn't matching up to season two in a way that makes sense, that's kind of on the show because I don't, I mean, Pete, I look over at Star Trek, uh, lower decks, 10 episode seasons. First of all, they've been able to retain 10 episode seasons, including some which are standalone or brand new digital sets and brand new animation, brand new characters and all that. But I digress. They've been in constant production for the last four or five years. Surely that's the case for this too, where you could be ironing out these problems at a time, but I guess not. And it comes back to who is it who's overseeing, you know, who watches the watchers? Who's AC Bradley's boss to say, let's move the pieces around a little bit better to have cohesion between two seasons, cohesion with larger properties and so forth. Is it too much to ask for Yelena if you're going to mine the widows, you know, that you're asking me, oh, was that, was that Rachel Weiss? Was that Jeff Goldblum? Come on, man. We can't, we can't throw a, a nod there to her sister. I mean, she calls them sisters. We talk all the time about, oh, it just takes a line like, Oh, I had a little sister and she died when we lived in Ohio, like something like that. Or, or to have, um, to have, uh, Melina say, you know, and, and there was that sister who didn't make it through the program. Oh man, Pete, that means Melina's even extra bad now. You know, that sort of thing. Right. Um, you mentioned Jeff Goldblum. I'm so glad that he was in this fourth episode here. I don't think that you could have had the Grandmaster return without him. No, and I'm glad he chose to do it. I wonder when it happened before or after his show uh, got willowed from Disney+. Plus. I did feel like 5% of the time I wasn't sure if it was Jeff Goldblum, and that makes me wonder if you know, since he's at the point where he's at in his career and part of Jeff Goldblum is being Jeff Goldblum, does he need other people to feed off of? Does he need that 10% of improv space and he needs the look on somebody's face to keep going with a funny that you might not get in a solo recording booth? I, I, I don't know, and it's not really a complaint because I'll take every moment of Jeff Goldblum that we got here. Um, I also think, again, if you're saying, like, what's the one the one sentence description or what's the one sentence pitch of this episode, Iron Man versus Grandmaster in Ben-Hur space racing is fun. You add to it, you then get Valkyrie, you then get Korg, you get Topaz, you get a little Thanos at the end. It's a slightly weird place. There's to... no way they brought in Brolin just for that. I, I'm completely confident he's in other episodes. Um, I will I will disagree. Is it possible, Pete, that some of the recordings for these 18 episodes may have occurred 
in 2020 or you know like it could have been here's what we here's what we think we're doing josh let's get you to record your dialogue for these five episodes and you know if stuff changes we'll call you back maybe he recorded this for season one you know in his recording session most of which was for season one maybe he did this and some other stuff for season two and boom you just you banged out two hours in the recording booth thanks so much josh grab a fancy water on the way out and take care I mean, it's certainly possible. The adventure we're about to go on with Peggy, you know, mirroring uh, Steve's of finding Steve's, leaving the Avengers compound there, and then to have the Watcher caught off guard when uh, Wanda and 1602 Fury pull her through um and how all of that might go yeah again the 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 secret is out from season one that there might be interconnectivity between these episodes and i think that's to a strength of what if as a tv property we've talked in our preview episodes i'm so excited for the 1602 episode and i then had to go back and look and say wait that's not until um episode eight which you know i must remind myself it's an episode a day so it's not that far away but still makes me wonder do we get hints of that in episode six and seven um but certainly on the one hand i the watcher was i feel like the watcher was somewhat on the sidelines in these three episodes which i know was kind of his thing as the watcher not the doer um but to kind of get that connection back again for him to be surprised in how the episode ended, I certainly enjoyed that. The next episode is not the uh, what if the uh, Avengers uh, assembled in 1602. However, it is the Kahori episode and uh, seems to be occurring significantly in the past. Um. I think that's that's um, going to be an episode, you know, worth looking forward to. Um, brand new character, original MCU character, uh, a Mohawk woman, and yeah, I, I can only assume that we're going to be. I mean, the pitch here is, um, I won't say what it is, Pete, but a powerful thing lands uh, in pre-colonial America, so that does nicely set up. Um, the Marvel 1602 story, which does not immediately follow it. Episodes 207, what if Hela found the Ten Rings? Um, Hela, also a super old character, right? Thousands of years old. So maybe there's that potential there. Um, and if there isn't, still it'll just be some some sizzle for the stake. Pete, to the email inbox we go, hearing from Tim, who says, I am loving the freedom of these stories the way that they are largely independent. I'm so glad that we are getting daily episodes during Christmas break. Yay, what a great way to spend the break. Uh, And lastly, Tim says, it's great to have these MCU actors back. Some of them I thought we would never see in the MCU again. Smiley face, smiley face, smiley face emoji, Pete. That's from Tim in Utah. Thank you, Tim. 
And Pete, this outing has been made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Our thanks for the continued support, particularly as uh, we're using some of that support to put in some fixes. Yes, absolutely. Cannot do it without you. And it's an example like this of, you know, why having that homegrown support is so important to us. So uh, thank you to everybody who's contributed past and present. And Pete, let's keep the Marvel conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on threads. You can find me on Blue Sky at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,600 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantastic.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and threads. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. Checking the old schedule, Pete. We will be back on the 28th to talk about episodes 206 and 207. And starting to close out the year on the 30th to talk about the conclusion of the What If season 208 and 209. With that, Pete, I'll say adios to all listeners and give you the final word. I'm going to go find a lemonade stand or something. <laughs> <laughs>